excited to be here this morning worshiping with you all. And uh, now we get to open the word and worship more, which is fantastic. Uh, We're continuing our study this morning uh, in the life of Moses. And we learned last week about the various consequences of idolatry. Now we're in chapter 33. And in verse 1, we see God tell Moses to depart with Israel and, and head for the promised land. And in both 33.3 and 33.7, God says, if he went in the midst of this obstinate people, he would destroy them on the way to the promised land. Verse 4 says, this is a sad word, a sad word indeed. And the people, they wept, and they take off their jewelry, and they worship in their tents from afar, while the pillar of cloud descends on the the tent of meeting outside of the camp where Moses communed with God. And this sort of sets the mood, sets the stage in which we witness this interaction between Moses and God this morning, where we witness Moses' earnest plea for the divine presence and the favor of of the Lord for himself and for his people, where he pleads with God to see his glory. And it's here we see the Lord graciously respond to those pleas for his presence. And he reveals his glory to Moses. You know, I I believe ingrained in every human is a sort of natural desire to bear witness to something great. I think this is fairly obvious. We all gather around the television come Super Bowl Sunday and we want to see something. We want to see something really cool. We put our noses into books and read, getting caught up in a story, trying to just witness something of of, of value, something worth seeing. We're even here, think about how odd it is, we're all here sitting in a chapel and we're opening the word. I think it's because we want to see something awesome. We want to experience the glory of the Lord. We want to know his presence. And I think the human creature was designed to spectate greatness. I think this is in every one of us. And so many, again, vainly stare into television screens and mindlessly scroll on phones, obsess over uh, secular novels that will never satisfy, and they're left time and time again wanting to, to see something great. Oh, but friends, for us, we have a thing to spectate this morning. We have something to to look upon and see the beauty of this morning. We have the God of Israel. We have the word of God that we can encounter him. We have the presence of the most glorious God before us. And we all gather here now and we're intently listening, eagerly waiting for God to reveal himself to us. And and Moses did this, and we too here want to witness the glory of the Lord. We too want to know him as deeply as we possibly can, to experience his favor and to understand his presence. And friends, in, in grace, he has revealed himself to us. I pray that we would have eyes to see at last and be satisfied once and for all in him to stop our strivings, to rest in his presence, that today would be that day for someone here who is listening. 
the day where his goodness and his glory would pass by you and you would at last be satisfied. That's what I believe this passage is about. I believe in this passage we see that the Lord is revealed as a God who sovereignly and graciously chooses to give us his presence and reveal to us his own glory. And if we take one thing away, it's that the Lord wants you to experience his glorious presence in your life. He wants to reveal himself to, to, to you. I pray that you would seize that opportunity and delight in what the Lord has for you this morning. Let's stand if we're able and we can read this text together in Exodus chapter 33 verses 12 through 23. Scripture says this, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you, your going with us, so that we, we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and we Thank you for this word that you have revealed to us, God. We thank you for your son that you have revealed to us, God. I pray that we would delight in this word. We would delight in who you have revealed yourself to be this morning. And that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this word. And it would transform our lives. And we would leave this place changed. Leave this place satisfied in, in the bread of life. Satisfied in you, O oh God. We pray that you would do this miracle and that you would show us your glory and glorify yourself. We love you, Lord. We pray that you do this for your name's sake and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In Exodus 33, it's evident that the heart of this passage is captured really by verses 18 and 19, where Moses fervently requests to see God's glory and, to, and, and God graciously responds by promising to reveal all of his goodness and proclaim his own name before Moses. And this exchange highlights uh, 
this interaction between Moses and God where Moses initiates and in prayer uh, and requests to see God's glory and God sovereignly and graciously chooses to respond. And before we, we jump in, uh, I want to review again a little bit of the narrative background here. The people have just committed this idolatry and the Lord seems to be withdrawing his presence. Now, any ancient reader reading this passage would recognize Moses as sort of a, a positive example. There is sort of favor with him in the narrative. God has shown Moses favor. The Lord still meets with Moses outside of the camp in the tent of meeting. Early in the chapter, we see that, that Moses brings that tent of meeting outside the camp. And the pillar of cloud representing God's presence still descends. And it says in verse uh, 11 that God and Moses met as friends would meet. While the rest of Israel worships from afar outside of their own personal tents in verse 10. And so this narrative is sort of beckoning us to view Moses as one who has uh, certain favor. They're still on God's good side. One who encounters and continues to commune with God as a friend. And it's with this background where Israel is far off and Moses is close in which this dialogue with God occurs. And so now we're zooming in to this intimate meeting with God and Moses after Moses is told to journey onwards. And it's in this exchange where we see Moses, he intercedes for the presence of the Lord, for the people to continue, for, to have God continue to be with them. And, and moreover, Moses is overwhelmed with desire and longs to see the glory of God in an even deeper way. And this, I, I believe, this divine dialogue breaks down in two, two sort of ways. We see first that the Lord graciously uses prayer to bring forth his presence. And we also see that the Lord graciously chooses to reveal his glory. So let's look at this first point. The Lord graciously uses prayer to bring forth his presence. Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses begins here by acknowledging the Lord's instructions, which he gave to Moses back in verse 1. The instructions for Moses to lead the people to the promised land. And now, when the Lord gave these instructions, he said to Moses that Israel uh, was, was the people of, of God. But in, if you look back in, in earlier in the verse, it says, Moses brought out. Uh, brought the people out of Egypt. God's now sort of using language in verse 1 that's distancing himself from, from the people. Normally God would say something like, I brought these people out of Egypt. Now in verse, verse 1 in the instruction, you're saying, Moses, you go take these people that you brought out of Egypt now. Um, I, sort of showing that he's, he's withdrawing his presence. God is consistently using this language earlier on in the chapter, the withdrawal of his presence all throughout that early portion of 33. And so here, now we have Moses as this example of being with God, and he goes to the Lord and desires to see him. And, and there's, there's a, a, a problem. He, you see, God said he's going to send an angel to clear it out but his presence is not going to be with the people anymore. And Moses here, what he's doing is he's pressing God. He's wanting to know who exactly God is going to send. Moses didn't want 
uh, the promised land without the presence of God. He didn't want just some angel to clear out the path and for them to go on about their merry way without the Lord. Moses is saying he wants God here to be involved in, in all that Moses is doing that God's presence is central and it's necessary for Moses in order to even serve God in the proper way. Verse 15, I think, also makes this clear. Moses had an expectation for the presence of the Lord to be there and to lead the people. Moses expects, again, more than just some ambiguous angel uh, clearing the pathway. He wants God himself to be with his people, for his presence to be with them on the journey and in the promised land. And Moses here, he's not afraid to, in prayer, beckon God for clarity and, and assurance. Moses isn't afraid to pour out his confusion and desires to God in prayer. And interestingly, God takes the confusion and the frustration, and he shows great grace to Moses and his response in verse 14. And friends, we too can approach God and our neediness for him. We don't need to do things on our own. We should desire the presence of God to lead us as well. We should seek clarity from him, seek his guidance, want to live our lives in such a way where we depend on his leadership and we want his presence and where we wouldn't have it any other way. We can approach God, and by the way, I think God actually likes this. When we approach God and acknowledge our neediness for him, to him, God knows us, and he wants us to pour out our needy hearts before him. Friends, again, there's a, a sort of correlation between the revealed presence of God and the expressions of our inward longings for him. Moses is like a desperate beggar here, hungry for God's presence, and he's not settling for anything less. That angel that would clear the way, it, it, it means nothing to Moses. He wants more. The promised land without God's presence, it means nothing to Moses. Leadership, and oh, well, Moses is this great leader leading his people out of, uh, out of Egypt into the promised land. That doesn't mean anything to Moses. He wants the presence of the Lord. And friends, that should be the same for us in all we do. We need that same neediness for God. That same longing to commune with him and to have his presence before us. Oh, friends, that we would let our requests be known to God through prayer and, and express our neediness to him in all that we do. That we wouldn't get up here on a Sunday and lead from our own strength or power, that we wouldn't serve in the ministries we serve in, in our own strength and power, but that we would pray desperately, God, without you, what's the point? What's the point? Some of us, I think, are so miserable, and I think it's because we're trying to obey God without communing with God in this way. We're trying to follow instructions, but we're not appropriately longing for God himself. Moses says, who are you sending? I need to know. The angel, it's not what I expected or, or what, I, what I want. I cannot do this without you. And this too must be our temperament. This too must be our how, how we live our lives. Neediness and expression of that neediness before God. I say it a lot, it's true. You can't enter the kingdom of God except as a child. 
And a child needs their father, needs his guidance, needs his love. Moses, he's unwilling to make a leadership move without God going first. And this is wisdom. This is admirable dependence. This is faith in God and his presence over our own leadership strategies. And so again, I pray as we go about our lives that we take heed of this, that we imitate Moses here um, as he longs for the presence of the Lord, as he recognizes that God is necessary if he's ever going to properly serve him in the correct way. And so we see verse uh, still in verse 12, moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in uh, my sight. Therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let. So here we see that we can actually commune with God. We can pray to God, beckon to God in prayer because of this favor, this grace that he has towards us. Upon expressing this neediness and this clarity, Moses expresses his understanding of the favor that he has before the Lord, even to be praying to him. First, Moses says he is known by God, by name, that God knows his character. And interestingly here, this is sort of a, uh, almost a scary thing to be, to be praying. Moses, his character at times was not so great. It was at times revealed that he was a murderer. Right? He was that shepherd who was afraid to speak, that person who recently in anger smashed the tablets. This is the man who is known by God, and he's totally bare before him. The Lord knows him. God knows Moses by name. He knows the character and the person that he is. But interestingly, Moses also prays and recognizes that he has been given favor by God. That is, God sees Moses as somehow pleasing to him. The pillar of cloud still is descending, and God is still meeting with Moses as a friend. Moses sees this and recognizes this and says, God, this is your favor, and so I can pray before you, and I can express these things, and I can ask for your presence because it's still here. I have your favor, so God, I want more of you. There is favor that God has granted Moses, which is itself the granting of access to God through prayer. Moses, in his intercessions, he's not boldly approaching God with his work, saying, God, look at me and all of my works. You owe me. There's no twisting of God's arm here. Instead, Moses is saying, God, I approach you and beg for your presence because I believe you know me and you have given me favor to stand here before you now. It is on this basis of favor that Moses beckons God with these requests for his presence. Moses continues to commune with God to express his confusions, to plea for his people, to beg for the glory of God to be revealed because of some divine favor that has been granted him, even in the praying. That is the basis of the communion experienced uh, with God through, through prayer. And friends, just as Moses had found favor in his sight, we too, who are in Christ Jesus, can approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
knowing that his grace sustains our communion with him, that we can be God's children, we can grow in wisdom, we can intercede, we can fellowship with him, because for some strange reason, he's found favor with us. Because we, I think, like the people of Israel, had an intercessor, a mediator, that which Moses was only a symbol of, the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has had perfect favor and perfect communion with God for all eternity. He has asked and, and performed a work that allows the Spirit of God to pour out on us. And we have experienced the favor of the Lord through His work. Friends, His work unites us with Him the blood of Christ has allowed this outpouring of God's grace and communion with God to any who would believe that Christ came fully as, as God and fully as man and died and rose from the grave so that the Father could forever smile on the human creature who finds themselves in Christ. That we have found favor because of our attachment to him and his work for us. Oh, if you have never given your life to Christ, this sort of communion, this sort of presence that every human soul longs for can too be yours if you would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we can commune with God in prayer because of God's grace and his favor towards us. We also see verse 13, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Here we see the grace and the favor of God is itself a means of knowing God. And it's very cyclical uh, in this passage too. So, so here's, here's what's going on. Moses, he's settling here into this theme of favor. And then he's, he's making his requests to know the ways of God. And ultimately, to know God himself. You see, favor is not primarily about physical prosperity or reducible to having good health. It's not about having a good job. Favor is about being able to know his ways. Favor is about being able to know him. Look at what is in the center of this passage. It says, I pray that if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you. And then there's a cyclical element. It goes on, so that I may find favor in your sight. But here we see that that favor is, is really more so about knowing God, communion with God. That, that thing that Moses was still experiencing here, he longs for more of it. The centerpiece is knowing him, knowing his good presence. It's not anything he gives you, it's him himself. Essentially, Moses is acknowledging that his existing favor with God has, has led him to seek deeper relationship with him. At the same time, he recognizes more knowledge of God will result in further favor from him, for knowing him is grace. It is an act of grace that we know him. And he wants this cycle to go on and on. And he's not reading books that don't satisfy. He's not watching television. He's not, you know, infatuated with drugs or alcohol. Moses is rightly obsessed here with knowing God. With desiring his presence and his favor to be granted to him. And this morning, if you're hearing this word, perhaps 
favor is hitting you this morning. Favor is sitting here this morning and communing with the Lord through the word that he has graciously revealed to us. Like Moses, may this favor we have been granted lead to a deeper knowledge of him, a deeper communion with him. May we hunger for him. May we have this cycle of deeper intimacy and may it define us for all eternity that we open the scripture and know his ways and know him. We are a people of favor because we know the Lord. And God in such grace grants grants this favor. Oh, may, may we engage in this. May we know God not as uh, some means to an end, but as an end in and of himself. Verse 13 also says, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, consider too that this nation is your people. We see God's people receive the presence of God because of a mediator. Moses, again, throughout the passage, has sort of been arguing this way. He says, if your presence has not left me, then I must have favor for favor is knowing you in this way. Therefore, if I have favor with you and, and know you, consider your people. Moses prays and mediates on behalf of, of Israel. And any time God uses um, you, when he's addressing Moses, he uses this word, you, you have found favor. Moses always is turning it into a we and an us. And he's tying himself to the people of Israel. We see this also in verse 16. Moses says the phrase, I and your people. He says it two times. Moses' response indicates that Moses views himself as necessarily being tied to the people of Israel. Moses prays that on the basis of his favor, the people have favor too. On the basis of the presence meeting with Moses, that, that the presence would also be with the people. That they would experience God's leadership and presence. Moses ties himself to this people, and in this passage, he is interceding on their behalf, constantly connecting himself to them. And I cannot help again but see Moses as an image, an imperfect image, but nonetheless an image of Christ. That we have one who leads us, one who's our head, one who is our representative, one who is far greater than Moses, who brings forth the presence of the Lord in our own lives. We have the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came down and leads us. We have one who, again, has all favor with the Father, and the Father has put all nations under the feet of Christ and has made Christ heir of, of all things. And we have one who has perfect knowledge of the Father and thus perfect favor with the Father. And in great grace... We're adopted into this deep love and favor through him. This is good news. Oh, I'm so thankful for the New Testament and for what God has revealed in Christ. That these images have a consummation in Christ. Oh, he is so good to us. He has shown us such great favor by revealing himself to us through the Son. We also see that the presence of the Lord, when it comes, it gives rest. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Finally, after much talking from Moses here in this portion of Scripture, here is the response from God in verse 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God sees the heart of Moses, sees uh, the desires of Moses, for Moses to know God deeper, the plea for, for Moses, a uh, plea from Moses for God's leadership and presence, and God graciously grants the request. And with this promise of presence, he also promises rest. That rest is too given. Where the presence of, of God is, by the way, there's necessarily rest. If the infinite God of the universe was in the midst of that camp, it literally becomes impossible for that camp to be destroyed. And so, the striving, the anxiety, it can, it can finally cease. The strife, the worry, no longer relevant because God has promised his presence. And then there's the rest of the seeking, right? We always want to seek and to see something beautiful, like I've been saying, and we... we Attach ourselves to all sorts of things, to television. Oh, but there is rest in God. Simultaneously, there is longing for more of Him, but there is rest in Him. Oh, the beautiful thing that the human was designed to participate in. And it, and it has to do with the, the presence of God that brings us to that place. Our hearts are rest, restless until it finds rest in Him. And so we have this promise of rest. And how much more, friends, do we know that God is with us? Do you know His Holy Spirit makes His home inside of us? Our very bodies are a dwelling place for the Lord. And if God's presence is really dwelling in us through, through the Holy Spirit, truly we have rest. And some of us are striving and some of us need to recognize this truth. And be at peace. And by the way, this doesn't mean that trials won't come. There are no trials on this side of eternity. Moses and the Israelites would find themselves wandering for 40 years. Right? And battling for the promised land. Indeed, life is not trial free. But we are promised rest. We are promised peace amidst the trials. Wholeness amidst the trials. Because our God is with us. And that is the ends. That's not a means, it's the ends itself. We rest there. We're done there. When God is with us, that's, that's, that's what we're designed for. And there is rest for all of us who put faith in Christ. There is rest for the persecuted saints and across the world in Asia who cry out as they're being persecuted. They have rest. The mother who's lost a child can cry out to the Lord and have communion with Him and experience His presence and there can be rest. The prisoner who, who the Holy Spirit makes their home in can finally have rest from their guilt. Whatever trial comes our way, we have a promise of His presence. And so, friends, we have a promise of rest. Oh, I pray that we would lean into that that our strivings would cease and we would rest in the presence of the Lord. Moving on to verse 15. It says, Then he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. 
we see that we should eagerly desire the presence of God as an end in and of itself. So after this, this great promise that God has made that his presence will be with, with him and he will give them rest, Moses sort of doubles down. <laughs> he he's, he's wants to think about it more. He wants more assurance. He wants, he wants to express his desire for God to be there in their midst even more. He says, if you yourself are not going to lead us, we would rather not have the promised land. We would rather stay here if your presence is not going before us. The land of milk and honey is simply nonsense without the Lord's presence. Moses could not imagine a good life in the promised land without God being there. He says, God, go with us, otherwise we don't want the land. We'd rather stay here. Moses wasn't just using God, you see, to get to the promised land. That's not what this was about. Moses wanted God's presence. He wanted God himself. He wanted for his presence to dwell amidst his people. Friends, God is not just a means to an end. He is the end in and of himself. God is not a magic genie that, that we rub the lamp and get what we want. He himself is what we want. He is to be our great treasure, our great vision, the thing our, our bodies and our souls long for and favor is knowing him and, and his presence is everything to us. And I believe across the world there are a great many false converts today because this point has been missed. Many use God as a means to an end. Then when God's no longer useful, they set him aside and toss him aside. They leave the faith. I think this is what has happened in large for a lot of our young people who end up leaving the faith after they leave home. It's because it wasn't real to them. It wasn't about the presence of the Lord. And this, I think, shows that they had an understanding that God was functionally their get-out-of-hell-free card and not at all their truest love. These sorts of people can imagine heaven void of his presence. However, if heaven were filled with the riches and the, and the streets of gold and, and all of those earthly images of pleasure, if it had all of it but God was not present there himself, it would just be hell in disguise. Friends, as Moses did, see God himself as that treasure. And, and see him as that end in and of himself. Long to be where he is at all times. Live your life that way. We also see verse 16 that we are distinguished by the presence of God. 16, how, can, uh, how then can it be that I and your people have found favor in your sight, is it not by your going with us so that we may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? Here again, Moses, he's tying himself back to his people. And, and this time remembering that the Lord Yahweh, right, is, is the, the name that distinguishes this group of people from all other nations. Perhaps Moses is remembering the words God told him to tell Pharaoh in Exodus 5, where he's, he's speaking on God's behalf. He says, let my people go, says the Lord. Perhaps he's remembering that battle with Amalek in which the Lord provided such great victory for the people. And, and they made a monument and said, the Lord is my banner. 
was the name of that monument. Perhaps he's remembering all the, the times, time and time again, God provided for this people. Moses said, if there is indeed favor for me, let it be for those you have called me to lead and for all of your people too. go with us. It is your presence, O God, that sets us apart from the whole world. You, Lord, have become our very identity. We're nothing without you, God. You distinguish us. You make us different. You give us value. You are what makes us unique and what distinguishes us as a nation. And indeed, for us, the, the bride of Christ, are we not defined by our bridegroom? As a married woman takes the surname of a man, we have taken the name of Christ. And he too has become our identity. We are Christians. That word just originated little Christ's. It's his likeness we bear. It's the, whole, the Holy Spirit's transformative presence poured out on us through his blood that sets us apart from the rest of the world. That we go forth permanently with his spirit upon us, which causes us to know him as our father and cry out, Abba, Romans 8. He has become our very identity, his spirit, which lives in us and transforms us and produces the fruit of the spirit within us in Galatians 5. It is indeed the presence of God that moves with us in this life and that defines us. And again, this is a blessing given to us by the blood of Christ. He has become our very identity. He has chosen a people for himself. A bride that he, he beautifies and makes whole. A body which he is the head of. We're not defined by our mere religious duties, our titles, our wealth, our earthly wisdom, whatever achievements we, we can have in this life, we are defined by that presence which leads us every day that was graciously poured out on us by the work of Christ. This is the gracious gift poured out on us through Christ's work. Titus 3, his blood allows the Spirit to dwell us and we become defined by him. This is good news. Next, we see that the Lord graciously chooses to reveal his glory. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. So God responds affirmatively to Moses' request. The wrestling match, so to speak, is, is now over. Now it's important to note why God finally says he will do what Moses has spoken. It says, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. It's, it's basically God affirming exactly what Moses was praying in verse 12, in that, that latter half there. And so it is on the basis of Moses being known by God, by name, and having favor that he listens to Moses' pleas. Now, interestingly, we already touched on this, Moses had his own faults. He was a man of great anger. He murdered a man, threw tablets down in frustration. He would, he would strike the rock in anger. And it is this man who was known by God by name. God knew his character, and yet God also had favor on him. Why? I cannot fully say, but I know this. God saw the truest Moses, the Moses perhaps saved by faith according to Hebrews, 
And God's eyes glimmered as he looked at Moses. And he had been seen favorably by the Lord. Friends, for, for you and I, we perhaps have our own problems as Moses did. We too struggle in various ways, but God knows us. He knows those who are his. He sees beyond our sin and sees the good that he created us to be, not in and of ourselves, certainly not in and of ourselves, but through our faith in Christ. We are indeed fully known by him, and in Christ, for whom we are destined to be joined, the Father now too views us with favor. He sees the truest us as we rest in the Son. He, because of Christ, looks upon us with favor as we are chosen to be in him. And it is on this basis of grace, this connection to God himself, that he so graciously hears our pleas and responds. Again, we can boldly approach the throne of God. It is on the basis of grace that we go before him and he hears our pleas and responds favorably. So friends, um, pray, pray, pray. Seek him, pray and intercede for his presence. Pray on behalf of your family and friends. Indeed, if we have the favor of God from this connection through Christ, perhaps it just may be his will to use us to play some kind of role in these things. As we bow before him, he might just see fit to use us, friends. For those in Christ whom his favor rests, um, do, do not be afraid to approach him on the basis of that favor. For he, he will, um, for his, his will, it will come about just as it did with Moses, so long as it is his will. Verse 18, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Here we see that encountering God's glory it will not happen without an eager, humble request, a seeking on our, our part that sort of necessarily goes with uh, with God's revealing himself to us. Moses now has been affirmed in his favor with God. And so what does he do? Kind of what was going on in verse 13. He, he recognizes his favor. And now he says, all right, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Oh, that should be the heart of a Christian. He wants to now experience and see the glory of God pass by. And so he asks. He asks. He's not afraid to ask. He knows God is infinite, and yet Moses' soul, it longs to witness this glory, and so he asks. He asks to see his honor, to see his glory. Weightiness is what's captured in that word glory. Value, something big. He wants to see the infinite God's glory, to have God at last be that grand spectacle that finally satisfies his longing soul. The saint, you see, is not interested in a finite glory of some mere mortal man, the fame of Hollywood or the power of governments, the artistry of artists, stories and fairy tales. None of these things can satisfy. We ought to want and desire and pray to see the thing of weight, to see the glory of God. That is what we were designed for. And even the most stoic, emotionally controlled human cannot deny that witnessing such a spectacle as the infinite God of the universe is what we were designed to do to be fulfilled in blessed happiness. This is what Moses wanted to see. This is what he asked. Friends, do not be afraid to ask to see the glory 
of the Lord. For, for us, we must pray eagerly to see him as he is. And I, I said, do not be afraid. Yet, in part, this is a pretty scary thing. The angels hide their face before him. The prophet Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. Yet dare I say this sort of union, this sort of spectacle of watching God be God is the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul. And this experience of glory, by the way, it's not mere emotionalism. It's not reducible to a mystical experience. But for us, it is to know more deeply Jesus Christ, the full revelation of God. The opening chapters of Hebrews and Colossians testify to it. Or perhaps John 1, the word became flesh. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The heart of the saint to witness the immortal Lord clothed in flesh. Matches that that matches ours nonetheless, and to be humbled and in awe of what has been revealed. Oh, this is what we were designed for, friends. Christ is what you were designed for. Seek him, pray, eagerly await the return of Christ, eagerly desire to see him as he is, to understand who he is, to know more about him, to know more about our King to diligently seek him through the scriptures which he has revealed to us and pray that God would, would let us understand this glory. Oh, the heart of the Christian lives for this. Show me your glory. Verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. God continues in grace, answering affirmatively again and again, Moses' request, so interesting, by the way, later on, he's like, I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. Yet he shows mercy to the beggar. He shows mercy to Moses, who's asking, God, show me your glory. And he continues to just answer affirmatively. Moses asks for the glory in 18, and now in 19, he says this. Interestingly, he says, all of my goodness I will cause to pass before you. Verse 18, 19, and 22, I think, indicate that there is a certain uh, sort of synonymous nature between his glory and his goodness. If we are going to know the glory and seek it, we must witness his goodness. Some of us, I think, we just think um, God has revealed himself to not be good. We dissect God and we pull him apart and view him as, as one whose judgments are not good, not righteous, and so we don't know him and we don't experience his glory and his goodness as it is. We, this is not the Christian God. The Christian God, he is totally good, and he is inseparable from his glory. The goodness of God is inseparable from his glory, and all of his ways are good. Even those ways that we might not understand his goodness passes before Moses. And if I want to witness God's glory, perhaps I should be tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. Indeed, he has shown us so much goodness in the face of Jesus Christ. He has revealed goodness in him to us. It is him who we feast upon and delight in. In him we taste and see that goodness fully embodied. And I think, I, 
it's, this can be sort of a confusing thing, but I, I do think the glory of God will either be revealed as his goodness or it will be revealed as his just wrath. But in either case, we will know the weightiness of who he is. But let it be the goodness that passes before us. The goodness that he has chosen to reveal to us in his own grace. That he has chosen to reveal Christ. Oh, that is what we should cling to. And we should, I was reminded even as Kim was praying, trust that God is good. We have so many wise, wise, wise. Trust that when he reveals himself, friends, when he shows you his glory, it is his goodness. It is indeed his goodness for those that are in Christ Jesus that he reveals. Even now as the word is preached, Christ is magnified, I pray we would see the goodness of the Lord passing by us and delight in it as we are designed to. We also see that God is graciously the self-revealer and self-proclaimer of of who he is. This is kind of an interesting like meta point, but I think it's important. Verse 19, and he said, I myself will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Interesting. Who is causing all of this to happen? Is it really Moses? No. No. God says, I myself will make this happen. God makes the goodness pass before Moses. And God is the one proclaiming his own name. By the way, that that means his character, right? It is his character, who he is, that is being revealed. Names were important. The ancient Hebrews would have seen a name as representing a a person's character or their nature, what they're like. And God promises to reveal his character to Moses. Now, with that in mind, think back at the goodness. God doesn't see cause emeralds and diamonds to fall before Moses to show his value. Instead, he offers something far greater. He offers his character on display, his own name, his goodness. The greatest gift he gives is the self-proclamation and revelation of himself as the good God. And is Jesus not this revelation to us? Is he not revealed as the full disclosure of the Father to you and I? He has showered us not with rubies and emeralds and revealed his weight in some other way. He has revealed himself, his character, as good in the person of Jesus Christ, you see? He has revealed himself. If only we could have eyes to see the immense value That Christ is that revelation of God we so long for. That it is his goodness that we gaze upon as we recognize his love for for us, his people. That we gaze upon and are finally satisfied at last. He is God's own self-proclamation. And we have been graced to see it. And if you haven't, Oh, I pray you do see it. That that longing inside of you would would cause you to cry out to him. And that he would reveal himself to you. Reveal that he is the good God. We also see that the Lord's glorious presence is revealed to those he chooses. Verse 19, he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion 
In the end, since this is all an act of grace, we must say that it is God who chooses to reveal himself to whomever he chooses to reveal himself. You cannot earn this glorious knowledge. You cannot earn his glorious presence. No one can twist the arm of God and force such a glory to be known or experienced. It is by the graciousness of his own free choice. Oh, and that makes, that makes the act of God, it makes grace more gracious, if that makes sense. It is fully from him. He sees you. If you've experienced his love this morning, he sees you and just says, I love you, here I am. For no other reason, no act that we do caused him to do that. He does it out of sheer grace. And this, balancing this, is difficult. <laughs> it is by the graciousness of his own choice indeed, and yet there is a sort of seeking and longing we see coupled in the text and all throughout Scripture, and figuring that out is far above my pay grade. <laughs> yet, here's what I know with certainty. The text reveals an intimate connection between knowing God and grace and favor in verse 13. And I only see affirmative responses in the passage for, for longing for deeper revelation of God whenever it is expressed. And today we have opened the word and perhaps his favor has landed upon you this morning and you want to go deeper. You want to know him more because that's what the favor, favor was. Would you ask him for more? Do you desire him? For this desiring, again, it seems part of that cyclical description of knowing God and having favor. I also, I don't think verse 19 is some mere arbitrary tautology, just saying the same thing over and over again. I think, indeed, it is a full work of God. Yet, yet here's sort of my, my conclusion, that God reveals himself to those he chooses. However, I do not see God in any way portrayed in Scripture as one who does not graciously reveal himself to those who earnestly seek him. And so, maybe we should just seek him. Although, I like getting cost, I like, you know, exploring some of the, uh, maybe get tangled in the weeds there. It can be fun sometimes. But, maybe we should just seek him. I pray this morning that someone has been awakened to the knowledge of the Lord God and that has tasted his goodness. I pray that, that I've presented Christ in some sort of way that's attractive to you by his grace and that someone would see that glory, would witness the glory that they long to see. Almost done here, verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Now, now earlier, um, you know, we see things like uh, expressions like God spoke with Moses face to face. However, I think this is really more of a Hebrew idiom that was uh, maybe showing that he was able to communicate with God in some kind of special way. Because here it is clear that God says, if you see my face, you'd be dead. Why? Well, glory, weightiness tends to crush, doesn't it? I cannot know the weightiness of a ton of bricks pressing up against myself and not have my bones crushed. I cannot stare at the burning sun and not go blind. The infinite value and glory of God is so infinite, it is beyond our comprehension. 
Our finite, frail states can't take it. And we, in our modern culture, by the way, we tend to minimize the conception of what glory is. Instead of saying, God, your glory is far beyond my finitude, we, we bring God down to our level so often because it's, it's scary, too scary. Let me reshape God into something that might be a little better. It's what we say. Truly, it's worse. And instead of having God's glory, true glory revealed to us in that way that satisfies, we settle for a glory that we can handle. And in many churches, this is what takes place with this facade glory that manifests itself. But in fact, it's a cheap imitation. It will not satisfy. It is not the grand spectacle that our eyes truly desire to see. And the unfortunate truth is that we, which, that which we desire to see, that which is ingrained in every human is something that is beyond us. Something we can't fully have. We're too finite. We're too limited. We can't handle that which we see. We desire the untamed lion, God, but he would devour us because of our wickedness. We desire to see the brilliant star burning, but again, we would go blind. Yet, friends, God has revealed Christ to us. Christ himself affirms John 6.46, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He later affirms that he himself, if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. Interesting. That bliss that we long for, that, that, that gazing that we long for, doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to the Son. How then can we witness that which we desire to see? Well, God has made a glorious provision, provision in Christ Jesus, has he not? Here is what we see also, that God makes provisions that we may see him and we may understand him. Verse 21, then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you on the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. God takes Moses, places him on a rock, a place really, really of honor by him, it says in the text. God is going above and beyond. He is so gracious. It is always honor to be placed by the king. And this is an amazing display of grace and, and glory towards Moses. Yet we know the danger. He's just told him. Moses sees too much of this. He's a goner. So God, he places Moses in the cleft of the rock. God knows our frame. And so in his goodness, plans a way for us to encounter him. You see, Moses' job was, was pleading and praying. And that was sort of done in 12 through 16. And now in this, this second half, God is primarily on the move. And he's orchestrating an event of grace for Moses to see the glory of God. He is revealing himself to Moses. He places him in the spot of honor where Moses is both somehow able to witness the glory, yet is shielded from the death blow that would have occurred if God's glory passed by unveiled. And friends, we have too been given a rock to stand on. We too have been put in a place of honor to witness the glory of the Lord. We too have been given a cleft 
to hide in that takes away our death blow if we were to gaze upon the Lord. And that we can finally long and see him. Christ is our rock of salvation. He is the one whom we hide in. He is our provision to participate and witness in the glory of the Lord in a way that is comprehensible to the finite human mind. He is our all in all, our everything. Verse 23, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my bat, but my face shall not be seen. Here's some uh, interesting, interesting things to ponder. Does the Father have a face? Does the Father have a hand? Does the Father have a back? No. These are all uh, expressions of the passage, and they're numerous here in the passage. But what does this all mean then? Well, after the glory of God passes by, God protected Moses and allowed him to look out and he would see all of the divine glory that he was able to bear. One preacher likened it to like the tail end of a comet. The explanation, the, the back of God, means uh, perhaps his works. We know the face of God cannot be seen from texts like John 1.18, John 6.46, 1 Timothy 1.17, 1 John 4.12. Yet in the same vein, we know John 14, 9 reigns true where Jesus says, whoever has seen the, uh, me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Or Hebrews 1, 3, where the Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. That we have been graced with such a display. We also know that which we spectate, we also almost long to participate in. And in a sense, we do. We are the bride of Christ that he has purchased. The body which he has chosen. And when we see him, we will at last be like him. We will bathe in his glory because of the work of Christ. And this is promised to us because of Christ. And it's promised to anyone who would believe upon him. And though now we see perhaps only, only the back, we in a sense will be united with him and know him. And I long for that day to know him more and more and more. To know the infinite God. Praise Christ for the revelation of, of, of the Father. May we have eyes to see him this morning. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you and we thank you for um, your works, O oh Lord. We thank you that you have given us your son. Oh God, that you have made a way for us to know you. That you have made a way for us to, to be all that we were supposed to be in Christ Jesus. Oh, and I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, that they would, would seek you. Oh, God, that your people whom you have chosen, I don't know who they are, but your people that you have chosen, Lord, that your presence would be with them and that you'd bring them to a saving knowledge of who you are. 
Oh Lord, we pray that this you would be pleased for this to happen. And we thank you, Lord, for your saving work. Oh Lord, we love you and we pray to see more of your glory. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.